From the studios of WORQ in Wisconsin, this is the Stand Up For The Truth podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up For The Truth. Crash Connell, it is Friday, November 17, 2023, and we got a information-packed podcast for you to, uh, this is Mary Danielson's first conference. Mm, yeah. So normally if we have a, a bunch of guests there in the studio, but now we're going to, we're going to go uh, global here. The magic <laughs> and the magic of radio. So uh, fresh new podcast. Today. Good morning. Good morning. It is sort of a conference podcast because my guests today are Don Vino and Ron Hensel of Midwest Christian Outreach, and we have a lot to talk about today. So I'm going to read the scripture, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to introduce our guests, and we're going to hit the ground running today on this autumn Friday, Galatians 6, 7 to 10. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those are of the ho- who are of the household of faith. Let's seek the Lord this morning. Lord, we come to you in need of your grace and wisdom. Lord, we ask that you walk among us today. We pray that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable to you. And Lord, that you'd bring truth to our remembrance in every situation that we face throughout our day. And that it would be good for the building up of the body of Christ. I pray for our guests today, Lord. I pray for Don and Ron and their loved ones, for provision in everything, for grace in the face of difficult days, and for the joy that can only come from you Thank you uh, for their labors for the kingdom for so many years and have continued open doors to contend for the faith. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we have, like I said, Don Vino and his wife. Uh, we have Don Vino today and Ron Hensel. Um, and um, let me start with uh, just a combined bio here. Don and his wife, Joy, are co-founder and president of Midwest Christian Outreach, Inc., also called MCOI, a mission to cults. Uh, and non-Christian religions based in Wonder Lake, Illinois. They have studied numerous cults and new religious movements that have impacted the church since 1987. Don is a frequent guest on numerous radio and TV broadcasts, including the John Angerberg Show, also staff researcher and writer for the Midwest Christian Outreach Journal, uh, co-author of the book A Matter of Basic Principles, Bill Gothard and His Cultic teaching, Teachings, as well as research articles in CRI, PFO Quarterly, uh, and many more. Ron is the senior researcher for MCOI. He has an MA degree in biblical studies from Wheaton College and co-author with Don of A Matter of Basic Principles. Ron is also an elder in his fellowship at Cape Coral, Florida. Welcome, both of you, to Stand Up for the Truth. Thank you. Good to be with you. Great to I, have you. I thought you were going to introduce me as Don's wife for a second there. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't, because you yeah. lose a lot of donors. Yeah, I think so. I think people would turn the radio off at that moment. Also, part-time yeah, yeah. stand-up comic, I see. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, I'm just concerned. You know, I just want to... Well, if one, of, one of you could just tell us a little bit more about MCOI. It's uh, midwestoutreach.org. And what will people find when they go to the website? 
they're going to find an assortment of articles on a variety of topics because we do general apologetics and outreach as well. Okay. So <clears throat> we might speak on cultural issues. We have a couple of articles recently on the whole issue of what's going on in Israel uh, and uh, and our universities, which actually dates back over 100 years. Mm. What we're seeing now is just manifesting from 100 years ago. So mm-hmm. uh, we, as a mission, also go to odd events. We were at Paganicon 2023, about a thousand Wiccans, witches, Druids, uh, Satanists. It was a, a real mission outreach. There's about four of us that went to that. And uh, in August, we were at the Parliament of the World's Religions, mm. about 8,000 from around the planet, from virtually every religion on the planet. Mm-hmm. So uh, we go out where the unbelievers are to interact with them. And a lot of that then is recorded in our blogs uh, on our website. Okay, great, great, fantastic. And I think the thing that we want to really dive into today, because it's been re-released as of August of this year, and that is the book, A Matter of Basic Principles, and it has to do with Bill Gothard and his cultic teachings. And I'd like to... Um, just set the stage here before you guys jump in and tell the listeners who that is, because many aren't going to know. But I want to set the stage here by taking just a minute and a half to read a part of a review of this book. And I'm going somewhere with this, so um, just bear with me, and then I'm going to have you gentlemen talk about uh, who we're talking about today. And here's the here is a short review. A Matter of Basic Principles Methodically and Unrelentingly Critiques the organization and worldview of one of the most influential characters in conservative evangelicalism in America, riding on a swell of fear and in many cases well-founded concern that biblical morality and faith was being eroded. Leaders such as Bill Gothard promised safety and assurance for worried Christian parents if they would accept and implement his regiment of biblical principles, a litany of patterns, practices, and prescriptions that bore a tenuous at best connection to sound biblical exegesis. If you have the live feed on, you have to not have that on because of the delay. Okay, here's, here's another paragraph that's going to help us out here. If the first edition of this book was an underappreciated wake-up call, this second edition now arrives as an emergency siren within a moment of crisis and deconstruction as a generation of young people begin to recognize the futility and incoherence of a worldview which they were led to believe was biblical. The bill, quote-unquote, bill on Gothard's catastrophic influence on American evangelicalism has become due and we desperately need voices that affirm biblical truth while exposing and repudiating the false doctrine and legalistic practices of this movement. So that's my setup here, because back in the 80s, I remember people traveling from Wisconsin to go to Gothard seminars, and Christians thought he was the guru of parenting back then. So today, like I said, a lot of our listeners may not know who he is, but this review certainly got my attention, and guys, you have our attention, so if one of you, both of you, would take a moment here and introduce us to Bill Gothard, who was no fringe character in the church. In the church. So who was Bill Gothard? Do you want to go first, Don? Go ahead. Go ahead, Ron. Well, he was uh, huge. I mean, he was like, I, I don't know if we'd say he was as big as Taylor Swift. Um, you know, in evangelicalism, uh, who's big right now? I, I have a hard time keeping up. But mm-hmm. um, you name the big person who was really influential, and I can't think of anybody bigger in the 1970s 
than Bill Gothard. Uh, he claims 2.5 million attended his seminars up, uh, which would have been through like 1980. And, um, I mean, I first heard about him in 1976. I was a brand new Christian and I was a brand new member of a, of a Christian youth group. And I got an invitation along with the other members to attend his seminar. And I think they were holding it at McCormick place in Chicago. I mean, he he picked out major venues. We're Mm -hmm. talking, you know, 50,000 seat auditoriums and it, it, he attracted a, a lot of attention and, uh, it was called the Institute in Basic, Basic Youth Conflicts, hmm. and um, it was a, an all-week seminar. So people were spending like thirty hours a week uh, over six days. Uh, when I got the invitation with in my youth group, I looked at it and said, "Well, there's no way I'm going to be able to." Those are all school nights, right? Hmm. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to go to this thing. Uh, it was it was like thirty bucks or so to go which, you know, 1970s money was a lot for a high school kid like me. Um, And, but, you know, the the church had a bus. They they would load a bus, and and our church was one of many, uh, hundreds throughout the Chicago area that would send busloads of kids to these auditoriums to hear him. And um, I thought, you know, I could talk more about that. I mean, I ran into people who went to the seminars. I didn't have an opportunity to go. Would I have gone had I had the opportunity? I would say probably mm-hmm. better than 50% chance. But then something really big happened around 1980 that the Institute was hit by a sex scandal. Now, I was attending a church that was right across town, uh, right across a little suburb called LaGrange, Illinois, from Bill Gothard's home church. And I knew people who knew Bill Gothard. I'd never met him at that point. And I, this was also a time when, you know, Reagan was running for president. There was, we were starting to see more of a divide between evangelicals. They were being more identified as conservatives and they were being kind of more receiving more negative coverage in the media gradually um, because of their conservative leanings and so when I saw a, a local news station, it was the local ABC affiliate in Chicago, WLS, covering this scandal, I was, I was kind of automatically suspicious what were their motives. Uh, and I, I talked to some people at Gothard's Home Church, and they said, well, yeah, he just made some poor judgment calls. And, you know, uh, and what I also learned was even then he was thinking of moving out of the seminar business and into homeschooling, which mm-hmm. I later learned was something he more or less had to do because the seminar business basically collapsed after that scandal. Hmm. Yeah, he, he, he so, got his start. Now, I, I grew up an atheist. I had no real experience with Gothard until shortly after I became a Christian in 1974. Uh, and he was popular, as Ron points out, he's filling up huge venues, and the question is why? Well, if you look back at our nation at the time, it's kind of like it is now, there was chaos and pandemonium, especially on the university campuses. Mm -hmm. And you had this lone voice stand up and say, I know what the problem is. It's authority. Mm -hmm. And so he started these seminars. He was one lone teacher with no red projector. Imagine that, filling out stadiums like yeah. the Beatles, 
just with an overhead projector and an idea that we can fix the problem and protect you and your yeah. kids mm-hmm. from all of this damage. Mm-hmm. That's appealing to a Christian parents. Absolutely. That's the draw. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Especially a new parents. Which, there were a lot of new parents, a lot of new baby boomer parents who were having children and just absolutely had no idea what they were doing. And they were looking to someone to help them uh, decide how best to grow godly children, have a godly marriage. I mean, it was all new to everyone. Now, his ministry was an institution for over 30 years. Um, so what continued to happen in the 80s and the 90s? Because I know people were going to these, and were they all over the country at some point? Well, in the 80s, like I said, the seminar business virtually collapsed in the 80s. Um the they I am told that in more recent years he was able to pack out larger venues than he had been in the eighties, but still when I asked, Well what kind what are we talking about here? We're probably talking things that were about the a tenth the size of the ones that I referred to earlier. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe a three thousand seat auditorium here or there, but but then again people these were people who were already connected in some way on a regular basis, whereas in the 70s, these were people who were coming to hear Gothard for the first time. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what happened in the 80s is he he he, he builds a new institution, okay. the Advanced Training Institute, which is his homeschooling ministry, and he builds other things like Alert Academy, which is kind of, how do you describe that? Uh, it's, it kind of sounds like a paramilitary organization. Without kind of a military school. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. They didn't have guns, though, did they? I forget. Um, it was more like uh, rescue training and other things like that. The thing that sounded really good, uh, but the, the idea is, is he was building a subculture that was becoming more and more separate, separated from greater evangelicalism and more indoctrinated into his ideas. So uh, you had all these ATI families who would have seen the seminar that I referred to earlier, but they would have, most of them would have seen it on video. Hmm. And you can still see the seminar on video. There's a website which will take you through all the, all of the seminar sessions recorded, I forget when, probably 30, more than 35 years ago. And um, so he's kind of off the radar for, for, for most evangelicals. I mean, he was being interviewed in, in Christian magazines, they were writing articles about him in major Christian publications in the 70s. That isn't happening anymore in the 80s, but he's there. Hmm. Uh, he's, a, he's a real presence in a lot of churches throughout the country. Uh, and then the 90s come, and uh, things start to change a little bit because he's starting to get some attention like from people like us and other uh, cult-watching organizations um, I had my own personal reasons for getting interested, uh, and then eventually Don had his own personal reasons, and we were already working together, kind of. And one thing led to another, and before you know it, we're having meetings with Bill Gothard. I, I, I guess Don can decide how we tell that story. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess what I want to ask you first before we jump in there, what what did you, you know, why did you decide to update the book and re-release it this year? Because people might say, well, hasn't he faded off the scene? 
um, what is the impact on the church today? And I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here uh, because we do want to talk about some of the characteristics and flavors of what he taught and why this is so alarming, why this reviewer said this is, you know, this is a five alarm fire. We still are being impacted by him. So what was it? And I think this is the best way to find that out. What was it that made you want to re-release the book? Well, the book, we had let it go out of print maybe three or four years ago. And um, recently, this year, Amazon Prime did a docuseries on the Duggars. Mm-hmm. And Gothard is central to that story. Right. Right. So we suddenly were being deluged with requests for information. Can you get the book back in print? Can okay. you? So we decided... If we're going to do this, we have to do some updating to it, which we did. Mm-hmm. But that was the impetus to redo the book and republish it. Mm-hmm. Why is that important? Because Gothard's influence extends far beyond the actual seminars. There are pastors around the country, in fact, around the world, that grew up in Gothardism. Their theology is largely built on Gothardism, or at least influenced by it. And so you could be sitting in a pew listening to your pastor and never hear Gothard's name at all, mm-hmm. but still being uh, taught his, what we will call, homebrew theological mm-hmm. biases, mm-hmm. which often have little to do with the Bible. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's important. It's really impacting uh, some churches, not all churches, but some churches very adversely. Mm. Uh, my name is Mary Danielson. You are listening to Stand Up for the Truth today. We're talking to Don Vino and Ron Hensel of Midwest Christian Outreach. Um, it is uh, just a very uh, interesting topic to me, especially because there was a lot of legalism um, during the early days of, I think, in the 80s especially. We had Growing Kids God's Way, and there was a lot of head-covering movements. There, for some reason, legalism and programs and ways to you know, make parents look good by having perfect little darlings, shiny happy people, which is the documentary. And it really was, especially Growing Kids God's Way, was um, a way it was about the parents. It was all about the appearance that they had through uh, legalistic means of raising their kids and having little perfect little obedient children, which made the parents look good. And, and there's so much more to that movement as well, and we probably don't have time to get into. But that was part of this whole legalistic era. And I'm wondering if one or both of you gentlemen could tell us what exactly did Gothard teach? This was the, what he taught affected millions and millions of families everyday lives. This wasn't just go to church on Sunday. This is your life. This is how you will raise kids from a man who never got married and never had children, which I find very bizarre. But what exactly did he teach about, um, day to day living and what, what the kids should wear, how they should look, how they should talk, who they should marry. What? Let's give people well, who are listening a, a, a real good view of this legalism. Well, I think that all that stuff you just rattled off, you know, what you should wear and all that, uh, kind of is built on the foundation of his view of authority. Uh, so he, you know, he he really viewed authority as the one thing that was going to really change everything in the church and in the world mm-hmm. and solve all the problems he he uh, it's it's the first thing he presents well after telling everybody that there is a set of non-optional principles of life that are found in scripture that he is going to tell his audience so these are 
these are his, you know, I guess his secret recipe for success. And success is a huge word. Uh, a new approach to success was one of his mottos. But it, he he first wants to get this one principle across that uh, everything is built on a, a hierarchy of authority, and that in the family. Uh, the husband father serves as the chief umbrella of authority, and he uses that as an actual picture. Uh, he, he, he puts an umbrella on a diagram, and underneath that is a smaller umbrella. That's the wife, and underneath that are, is a, an even smaller umbrella, which are the children. I don't know who's under the children. Maybe that's the dog and the cat. I don't know. <laughs> but then he shows rain coming down, the rain rep- and lightning and so on. That represents the attacks of Satan. So... The husband, of course, his umbrella is protecting the wife, and the wife and husband together are protecting the children from all these attacks of Satan. And to get out from under uh, any of these umbrellas that you're supposed to be under is to subject yourself to the attacks of Satan. So these are so these are protective umbrellas. Um, and he goes even further, which is really I want to interrupt one second because this is key. Yeah. He scares you with uh, scripture in the process. This umbrella is so important to him that he tells you that uh, getting out from under the umbrella is rebellion, and rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. So not right. only must you be under the right. umbrella, but to even get out from under it is sin itself. And also, it's to get out from under God's protection. God, you know, it's like all bets are off, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, in fact, he even quotes Romans 8.28 where it says that God works all things together, causes all things together to work for the good to those who love him. Well, uh, he says you're basically, God will not fulfill that promise for you mm-hmm. if you get out from under these umbrellas of authority. And, of course, in the church, this involves your pastor and in your, your, your business and your you know, professional life or whatever that involves your boss who's over you. These are all umbrellas of authority. But the one that, the one that he keeps on harping on is the one in the family, because this is going to dictate all kinds of things down the road. For instance, a daughter is to remain in the house until she's married and she's transferred from at that at marriage. She will be transferred out from under her father's umbrella of authority to her husbands, um, so this uh, is really uh, the foundation for everything else that follows. Uh, and you want to keep on going from there, Don? Yeah. Well, I, I do because this issue of authority—the very first meeting we had with Bill Gothard—we raised this question because uh, this is something he teaches in the first hour of the seminar of. If getting out from under the umbrella of authority is rebellion, and rebellion is a sin of witchcraft, and he agreed that it is, you tell us a story, in fact, we'll quote it, the only recorded incident in the life of Christ between the ages of 2 and 30, it was a discussion with his parents, which involved authority. <clears throat> you might not notice that that was there because it's actually I not. didn't see but that anyway, in the text, but I'll have this to take word when he was 12. Mm-hmm. Should he follow his spiritual calling and be about his father's business, Luke uh, 2.49, 
or should he become subject to his parents and leave his ministry at the table, uh, at the uh, at the uh, temple? And so I ask him this question: If getting out from under the umbrella of protection is rebellion, and uh, rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, and if Jesus had to make the tough decision to get back under his parents' umbrella of protection, which you just said, wouldn't that mean he got out from under to begin with, and therefore is a sinner? Hmm. But either your teaching is wrong. Or Jesus is a sinner, it can't really be both. And he was stumped for a few moments, and finally he said, no, my teaching is right, and Jesus isn't a sinner. But he couldn't tell us how that works. It just breaks down, because it is not a biblical teaching. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, but what we see there, Don, as as you're showing, is the authority is the lens through which he looks at everything. Everything. So here's a story that has nothing to do. In fact, if anything, Jesus is the one who is the authority here, he's teaching the rabbis in the temple. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're marveling at his teaching. So he's all, at, at the age of 12, he's already demonstrating his authority. And Gothard twists this into a story about Jesus. What? What? Getting out from under his parents' authority? Mm-hmm. Well, wait a minute. How does that not make him a sinner? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If, if what you say is, is true, Mr. Gothard, that to do that is as the sin of witchcraft. Mm-hmm. So you met so, you met yeah. with him regularly. How often did you actually uh, meet with him and and try to at least uh, uh, address some of the issues? Because like again, we want to repeat: a lot of families and parents were taking everything he said as gospel. We spent we met with him more than once over several years, uh, writing back and forth, talking on the phone. So our first meeting. Do you remember the year for that, Don? 1997? Uh, that would have been 1995, as a matter of fact. Oh, wow, 95. So then, because I know we were meeting with him right up to the time when my wife and I adopted our son, which was 1998. Uh, because we, I remember we in, in that meeting, we prayed about it. You know, he, which was, I appreciated them praying with us about that. So 1995 was our first meeting. That's the one we brought your pastor? Yes. Okay. And that would have been the time when I told the story to them about my cousin. Uh, And my cousin, uh, I I won't name her. Uh, She is going to be with the Lord now. Uh, She used to babysit me when I was a kid. And I remember... uh, catching up with them uh, in the mid-90s, early, early 90s probably, and she was having, she was pregnant with her fourth child and she was 44. And I thought, okay, well, you know, she had three children and she took a pause and she's having another. And I thought, that's her decision. Then I find out that she and her husband are really into Gothardism. And I'm thinking, that's interesting because I've been trying to study this, uh, can make sense of certain things mm. that happen in my own life. And um, I get a call from my mother after that. This is after we, we got together at a family gathering. And um, my, well, actually, this would have been her fifth pregnancy. She she had a baby at the time. She had three older children, and now she was on her fifth. And my mother said, uh, pray for your cousin. Uh, she has a brain tumor. Mm. And uh, she'd been having home delivery uh, with a midwife uh, for she had that at least for the fourth child, 
And so we were praying really hard. What uh, She could not have that home delivery. She had to drive down to a, a nearby or not so near hospital, actually, give birth and then go into the uh, surgery ward the next morning to have the tumor removed. Um, it was technically a benign tumor, but it's benign, but it would have killed her because it would have grown inside of her skull and it would have killed her that way. Mm. They removed it, and after the surgery, my um, my uh, my cousin's family met with the oncologist and the surgeon to talk about what had happened. And my uh, her brother is a pharmacist. His brother, her brother, and his wife are pharmacists. And they and they listened to the oncologist who said, "This is a tumor she could have had since childhood in her in her head, and it was waiting for some event to trigger it." And my cousin said, uh, could it have been the pregnancy? And the oncologist said, yes, it certainly could have, especially mm-hmm. a late-in-life pregnancy like this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I get a call a few weeks later, a m- couple months later. My mother is on the phone and says, who is Bill Gothard? Mm. Hey, you know what? I'm going to ask you to stop right there. That's a great place to stop because we have to take a break here shortly. And uh, we are talking to Don Vino and Ron Hensel of Midwest Christian Outreach. We are going to come back uh, with that subject. Um, they wrote A Matter of Basic Principles, Bill Gothard and His Cultish Teachings. And a lot of people don't understand the legalistic type of cults that invaded evangelicalism in the 70s, 80s, 90s, still continues today. These, these kids are grown adults. And we're going to talk about legalism, deconstructing a faith, so many things that we want to talk about. Um, yet when we come back. So uh, remember to visit StandUpForTheTruth.com. Sign up for our weekly podcast digest for your email inbox. Just click the subscribe link. Put your first name and email address in. And uh, we're also looking for feedback. Comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. So stay with us after a couple minutes here, and we will be back with Don and Ron. Your prayers and ongoing financial support keep our Truth at Any Cost mission strong. StandUpForTheTruth.com Welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth for this Friday. My name is Mary Danielson, and I have the authors of A Matter of Basic Principles, Bill Gothard and His Cultish Teachings. And there's only so much we can cover uh, in an hour, but I highly recommend the book. Uh, it's very, very interesting. A lot of details there. Uh, Don Vino and Ron Hensel, again, MidwestOutreach.org. And we were talking about, uh, pick up the story because we were talking about a uh, personal encounter with uh, Bill Gothard's teachings. Yeah, my, uh, I, I left off with my, my mom calling me on the phone saying, who is mm-hmm. Bill Gothard? Bill Gothard. Mm-hmm. And she was pretty irate, I could tell, because uh, my cousin, uh, whom, uh, who was into that movement, with her husband uh, had a, was have had a brain tumor removed, and she was told that the tumor could have been triggered by a late in life pregnancy, and now she was pregnant again. Hmm. And sure enough, within a few weeks, she had another brain tumor, and she um, went into the hospital the same routine as she did the last time. Only this time, it didn't go as well. Uh, the tumor was bigger, it was more difficult to extract, and she ended up having a stroke on the operating table. Mm-hmm. When she woke up, she didn't remember anybody, it, nobody. Mm-hmm. After a while, she remembered her mom, and, and she said to her mother, uh, Mom, I have six kids. 
how did I get six kids? Hmm. Uh, she was never the same. Hmm. And I mentioned earlier that she's since passed away. Um, and her husband has also passed away. Hmm. Uh, they were really into it. And at the time, uh, we were just starting to receive a lot of Bill Gothard literature from ex-members. And uh, by the time we met with Bill Gothard, I had received uh, a copy of a booklet from what he was calling the Medical Training Institute of America. We didn't even mm. know this institution existed until uh, an ex-member of uh, ATI sent us a huge box, full, or a couple of boxes full of literature and uh, videotapes. And in this was a, a set of these booklets, and one of them was talking about the importance of having children. And as you read it, though, it was against birth control at any time for any reason. And it, w it also said that you may occasionally hear a doctor say that a woman should not get pregnant because it would uh, jeopardize her health. Well, and it says you should trust God more than doctors. Hmm. And I presented this. I... I, I, I we, in our first meeting, and, and Don corrected our date, it was not 95, it was 1997. I sat down with him, and sometime during the course of this meeting, I told him the story of my cousin, and I presented a photocopy of the actual MTIA booklet that I believe influenced my, uh, my cousin and her husband, and I, I was appalled at the response they listened, they looked at the material, and they looked at me and said, sometimes you just got to use common sense. Hmm. Hmm. And I thought, how out of touch with your own followers can you be? Because mm -hmm. they believe everything you say. Yes. And they're trying we, we to follow it to the best that, of their ability. Night when we, we had a similar thing that, light, that night, using the same, material, the same kind of material from the Medical Training Institute, on his teaching on circumcision. He teaches right. that circumcision is a moral requirement. He has a 12-page booklet describing when you should circumcise your son, the the um, order of service of the circumcision, the prayers to be prayed, who's holding the child at what point, and a certificate of circumcision suitable for framing at the end of the booklet. <laughs> I pointed out there's a little book in the New Testament he may have missed called Galatians that actually deals with this question. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and the framework here is obviously legalism and all the, keeping all of these rules that he had laid out gives you blessing and favor with God. And, and parents, I think, were looking for that. They were very young and naive. Um, the, the quiverful teaching, right, that, that was part of this, um, that, and we know that from the TLC program, you know, 19 Kids and Counting, they they are sort of the poster family for this entire type of uh, upbringing, raising families, marriage, that sort of thing. Also, there was um, the homeschool movement, and we are very pro-homeschool, uh, especially in these times. But there, this was a little bit different. It was he. The goal was to start a homeschool movement to raise up these young people, many, many, many young people, to actually take dominion and to take the nation back um, for for Jesus and for for the gospel and and for the Bible and you know what I mean every every everything that Christians hold dear um, this is something uh, very different now this is Dominion theology which is not biblical but also something called the Joshua Project what was the Joshua Project 
Don's going to well, have to the take that one. Well, the Joshua Project is a later invention that was after we did a, a lot of research. Okay. But, uh, it is a uh, an effort to impact politics from a Christian standpoint, uh, fundamentally. Now, my question is, is that necessarily a bad thing? So mm-hmm. we want to be a little careful mm-hmm. right. of... Uh, of uh, saying we should not be involved in politics because right. Gothard was mm-hmm. versus should we be involved in politics. I'm not advocating either way. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying we need to make a little bit of a separation. Right, That's right. That's one. Secondly, there's a sort of a connection with what might be called dominion theology, mm-hmm. which is the idea that Christians should take over all of the governments of the planet and mm-hmm. rule them for God. Mm-hmm. To me, that's a dangerous idea mm-hmm. because it does breed authoritarianism, we are not a theocracy. Israel was, and that's and that was God ordained. Right. The United States is not a theocracy, so we need to be a little guarded on those issues. I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, these seven non-optional principles of life is there is there a way that you can kind of summarize those? Because it really does let um, let people understand what he well, thought. I can important. list them if you like. Yeah, yeah, yes. If you would, that would be great. Uh, the way Gothard frames them. And he doesn't exactly call them the same thing as you're going through the seminars, but, you, you know, they, you can understand what they mean. The first is the principle of design. In the textbook, uh, it's referred to as acceptance of self. So you know, a lot of these things we would agree with, you know, accept God, uh, accept yourself the way that God has made you. And especially in this time of transgenderism, this would be a very appealing mm-hmm. thing to be pushing uh, mm-hmm. I mean, regardless of the fact that even to this day, Bill Gothard wears lifts in his shoes and dyes his hair black, you know, we should accept ourselves the way he has made us, right? <laughs> um, so does he live by them was the question, and right at the first one, you, you really don't see it. Uh, so principle of design, principle of authority, principle of responsibility, uh, principle of suffering, uh, principle of ownership, uh, yielding rights, that was huge. Uh, and principle of moral purity. So all of these, you can find biblical uh, support for the basic idea. The question is, in what direction is Gothard taking them? Mm-hmm. Uh, what is what is his particular approach to them? And that's where things start to go off the rails. Mm-hmm. Was, there, was there actually any biblical instruction? This is what's missing in my understanding of how how this all continued to play out, um, because I don't recall ever hearing anything about Jesus or the new birth or anything like that. Was there biblical instruction to go along with um, at these seminars or gatherings, or was it mostly just hammering home what they need to do to get God's blessing on their families? Okay, so here, here's where deception yeah. starts coming in, Okay, because he attaches biblical passages to what he is teaching, but they are not. It's not biblical instruction. It has nothing to do with the context, okay. generally speaking. Bill Gothard is an eclectic. He's a spiritual eclectic. He grabs various ideas and then tries to find ways to make them sound biblical. Number mm-hmm. one. Number two. In the process of doing that, he is very clear, and and we write about this in the book, that he does not use the historical grammatical understanding of scripture. He just he disdains that, as a matter of fact, because he could come up with different understandings. Mm-hmm. So what he does instead is a mystical method. He memorizes right. great portions of scriptures. 
praise for God's interpretation of the scriptures. And so what you end up with is an inspired, inerrant understanding of the inspired, inerrant word of God. That's a staggering claim, but that is the claim he makes. On page three of his basic textbook, he has, it's uh, labeled uh, principles in applying the scripture. So you think, okay, now, great, we're going to have a really good foundation in how to properly understand the Bible. First one is working through the text. Why was it written? To whom was it written? Oh, I can agree with all that. But it's the very second one where he goes off the rails, meditating on the text. And he says, only as we meditate on large sections of Scripture will we begin to see the underlying principles of application to daily living. Uh Well, meditating is exactly what Bob or what Don just referred to a second ago. It's a mystical. It ends up being in his hands a mystical approach. I've run into, I mean, I, I don't think I asked this question of him directly, but I ran into one, a person who is very similar to Gothard, and he came up with the strangest application of a text, and I said, how did you get that? And he says, well, just through meditation. Mm. And it's like, well, that that's pretty much the way it works with Gothard. Um, and if you try to argue things like context and vocabulary and other things, um, I, I, he you're not going to get very far with him because he's achieved, he believes through his meditation, he has come to the proper way of applying to life. And then his third um, principle of applying scripture is discovering principles in the text. Um, And that's where, you know, we start to see all kinds of crazy things, Mm. the the principles that are not in the text, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, are the ones that he finds. One, one of his principles that he's able to find, in the, and I'm not sure which text he goes to for this, but he believes that men should not wear beards. Hmm. Right. And this has become quite a divisive issue in some circles. <laughs> he's actually had uh, uh, told speakers who were invited to speak at his events that they could not come back and shaved off their beards. Wow. Uh, He's also somehow is able to find the principle that we are to obey the Old Testament dietary restrictions. Mm -hmm. So he didn't allow uh, any of his uh, venues, any of the places where he was maybe in charge of the food to serve pork. Mm -hmm. Pork was off the, you know, you couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. So we start to see a lot of Old Testament regulations creep in. So you you have to wonder, how do you get to there if you have started with correct principles in applying scripture, mm-hmm. well, he hasn't. He didn't. He doesn't really start with those correct principles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it was it was basically a, a man's teachings, man tradition, man's man's movement here. And I, I, I guess I I don't know. It's not up to me to to question even whether he was actually converted and knew the Lord and was filled with the Holy Spirit. We don't know that. But I don't get anything uh, from what I read in the book. I don't get anything about that. So that's problematic as well. I also want to talk about long-term impact on the young adults now who were children at that time. And this is what's interesting to me. As I watched Shiny Happy People, and I did watch the whole thing, um, I saw these young adults uh, sort of trying to process what that life was like for them. As they go out in the world, they you know get jobs or whatever, become parents, um, and there's a there's a big uh, explosion of deconstruction of the faith these days all of a sudden. And I sometimes mm-hmm. I wonder, um, and you don't want to paint a broad brush of church or parental failure. That's the last thing we want to do here. But 
I think it's a symptom of something that was terribly wrong back then of legalism, which kills. It does not give life. And um, people will let us down, of course. And we're never to look at people. It's all about Jesus. But we cannot dismiss the number of young adults who want nothing to do with the church. And I don't think people are connecting the dots with Gothard and growing kids and all those. And I can... I. I do blame that for considerable damage to these kids' ability or adults to, to simply grow up into the people God intended them to be because they were put in a box. They were told you must look like this, act like this, talk like this, and you must make us look good. Um, and then well, now we'll have godly children. I mean, growing kids God's way. How arrogant is that? That is not something that you would say based on some re- revelatory knowledge that you have. So what have you seen? Um, I presume you watched the documentary um, how can we help young people who I think many probably were victims of this particular kind of cult? Well, I often start off with one a one-line statement to get into this, and that is this. Just because God and Gothard both begin with G-O and end in D, that does not mean they're the same thing. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So... What they're often rejecting is a God that you and I would also reject. Right. But that's not the God of the Bible. That's the problem. That is, Gothard, his impersonation of God, essentially. Which Mm. then, when you go into, quote, deconstruction, you think you're deconstructing from the biblical faith. You're not. When Mm -hmm. Josh uh, Harris, for example, did his deconstruction, we wrote on that. And he had a, he has a, essentially a false gospel. It's a, uh, sexual purity, prosperity gospel, if you will. Yes, it is. If you mm-hmm. remain sexually pure, God will give you a great looking wife, a great job, a wonderful career, big house. But if you, you know, get off on the broad protection, if you forsake that purity, sexual purity, your wife will get ugly. Your house will go to to you know <laughs> self destruct mode. You lose your career. Yeah. And in the seven yeah. principles, watch. What is the seventh principle, Rob? Oh, now you're gonna. I got to go back to the text. I, I don't have them memorized. I. Uh, it was. Oh. Uh, I thought it was sexual purity, wasn't it? Or moral purity? No, success. Seventh oh, principle. Success. That's right. Success. I, mm-hmm. So you follow yeah, the seven principles. This. If you adhere to the seven principles, the last one is success. So what is your mm-hmm. goal in life? It's success. Mm-hmm. And everything you're doing is targeting being successful in some way. That is your reward. So it's a moral purity uh, gospel that Gothard is teaching. Mm-hmm. So if you grow up in that kind of an environment... You can't really separate biblical teaching from Gothard. That's where wow. we have to start. Wow, that's scary. And, and it's a fear. I it's think, a fear-based life. Well, right. and I just want to kind of underscore what Don said. You know, it, he says it so many times. I, I, I think I'm hearing it in my sleep. You know, just because it begins with a G and ends with a D, and there's an O in the middle, doesn't mean he's God. As someone who has been in a very cultish type of group, my wife and I were in it for five and a half years. It's really difficult to impress upon people how a leader like Gothard or the one we had can get into your head. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to communicate this. Uh, we kind of joke about it that after we leave these groups, and I've joked about it with my wife and others who were in it, 
that you know how people talk about I, I thought I heard the Lord speaking to me kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, it I was hearing it in the voice of my leader. Wow. Wow. I was hearing God in that voice mm. and, toward the end, and even after I left. Mm. And I was trying to just kind of deprogram myself from the whole thing. And I went straight from that group in 19, at the end of 1992 to a job at Wheaton College. And I was curious because my ex-leader claimed that he once worked for Bill Gothard. Well, here I was now working at Bill Gothard's alma mater. And I thought, well, surely there must be something in the library that he's written because he's a pretty well-known alum. And I could, I went over to what was then called Buswell Library. They've since changed the name. And uh, I couldn't find hardly anything. Mm. Uh, it, it, and this was my introduction to the fact that he's kind of keeping this all under wraps. He doesn't want the outside world the unindoctrinated outside world to really know what he's writing. Sure. And I don't think that's an exaggeration. Right, right. And legalism... When you read Ginger Duggar Volo's book, I think you kind of get a sense on how Gothard got into her head the way my ex-leader got into mine. Right, right. It seems to be, it would be inevitable. I mean, it really is an indoctrination. And legalism, and I really want to leave people with this... uh, what legalism is. It is extremely destructive. It is fake Christianity. Um, it uses Christian language. It uses biblical terms. It sounds evangelical, you know, evangelism, fundamentalism, literalism, and such. Um, it's really not true Christianity, and it destroys your witness. It destroys the cause of Christ. Uh, it, it just squelches the spirit. Uh, um, you know, in Colossians, uh, it says here, and I think this is pretty definitive, Colossians 2, 20 to 23. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all conther- concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. And here's the key verse right here, 23. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. And that is important because there were there were uh, moral failings now with Bill Gothard and, and one of the Duggar young people. Be, and it says here, as no value against the indulgence of the flesh. It's pretty clear there. And that was one of the biggest failings of this movement. Yeah, I mean, like Paul, the Apostle Paul says, you know, if, if anyone has cause to boast in the flesh, it is I. Mm-hmm. You know, Pharisee of the Pharisee, Hebrew of the Hebrews. Well, if anybody had a cause to boast in, in legalism, it was the Duggar family, a Gothardite of the Gothardites, yes, right? right? And Gothard himself. I mean, who's more of a Gothardite than Gothard? So one <laughs> of the things that we were convinced of early on and have since been proven correct on is that probably the most foundational premise in all of his teaching is that if you follow these principles, you will have, as Don put it earlier, success. And to give, to his credit, he tried to define success primarily spiritually. Well, how's it going for him? Mm-hmm. How did it work out? Yeah. It, it's, it has been a disaster. It has. In his own life and in the lives of others, including my family members. Mm. Millions of others. So, mm-hmm. you mentioned legalism. Now, we tried to deal with that early in our book because people have different definitions of legalism and 
somebody might come back and say, well, how can you say he's a legalist because he doesn't teach you need to do works to be saved? Mm. Uh, okay, well, that's not the only meaning. Uh, other, there's another meaning of uh, having extra biblical requirements built as kind of a fence around the law to protect yeah. it or to protect you from accidentally breaking it. So you have extra biblical commandments. And then there's, and he definitely has that. I mean, his his prohibition of beards, where does that come from yeah. in Scripture? Yeah. Uh, and then imposing obsolete Old Testament requirements on New Testament believers is another way the word legalism is used. And sure enough, he does it with both the Jewish dietary requirements and mm-hmm. The uh, and the right of circumcision. Mm-hmm. He actually ha- Dom, he actually has a certificate. Well. He, you can print out a cir- circumcision certificate yeah. for your children, for your male children yeah. at least. Yeah, from his materials. Well, you know, and this this is just heartbreaking to me. You know, because uh, um, I I know that there are many, many, many people who, even if they weren't in that group or a similar group, they they have. Heard and they've possibly been influenced by um, throughout the Southern Baptist churches throughout the country. We got two minutes left, gentlemen. Is there anything else that you want to add? Yes. For for the listener, here's how we d- develop the book. There are three questions we ask that permeate everything we do. Are his teachings biblical? That's question one. Does he live according to his teachings, whether they're biblical or not? That's question two. How do his teachings impact his followers? That's question three. Once we answer those three questions, then you can decide, is this something you should support? Mm -hmm. Our suggestion is run as fast as you can. (laughs) Yes, I agree with that completely. Uh, Don and Ron, it's just uh, really been eye-opening to have you on here. Again, the book is a matter of basic principles, Bill Gothard and his cultish teachings, and even though he's no longer doing it, the influence, I think, in evangelicalism of this and other legalistic groups that sprung up uh, in the 1980s and 90s, um, I'm pretty sure we're still looking at the fruit of that in uh, a lot of young people who don't want anything to do yes. with the church. Yes. So uh, thank you so much, gentlemen. Um, I really thank encourage you. people to uh, get the book and also visit Midwest Christian Outreach it's midwestoutreach.org because there's much more information on there about other things uh, that you have taught and things that you're looking at, and uh, we very much appreciate everything that you are doing. So God bless you guys. Um, you know, we we want to pray for you, and, and I'm sure you get a lot of spiritual warfare, which would be um, a given in a situation like this. So we will continue to pray for you. I, I suggest that the listeners do pray for you. So, um, Thank you, Mary. Yep, thank you so much. That is it for another podcast, another week. Um, we are going to be uh, having a replay on Monday. Jim Harden. Tuesday we have Patrick Wood. And we're going to talk about technocracy once again, and I'm sure he has plenty to say. Um, Patrick is just really a gem and a gift to the church. So... Um, like I said, that's it for another week, and I hope that you will join us. Comments at StandForTheTruth.com. Even if you're not listening live and you listen to a podcast down the road, I still want your comments. I would love to hear from you. So, uh, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. Have a great day on purpose and a great weekend. 